Cheers, Mark. God, what do you think of when you hear me say God? What comes into your mind when you hear me say God? Is it a bearded old man like a wizard or Gandalf? Is it a Greek-like God holding a thunderbolt ready to zap you if you step out of line? Is it a revolutionary? Perhaps it's a lion? Or what about a carer? Or do you think of a helper? Some people think of a beard when they think of God. Others think of sandals. You know, that's quite a Christian thing to wear, unfortunately. What about a lamb? A church building? Maybe a sacrifice? Or what about wrath, love, mercy, or grace? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Tozer said this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. You see, it is crucial for us to think of God correctly. For our idea of God to be true of God himself. You see, when we say that we love God and we want to live for him, is this the God of the Bible or the God in our minds? You know, we can say that we're followers of Jesus, but do we know who Jesus is? Rather than loving and fearing the Jesus of the Bible, often we can create a false God pieced together from our favorite Bible verses, and we call that person Jesus. You see, when we fall into it's not just being biblically illiterate. This is blasphemy. This is actually worshipping false gods. We show love for what we deem worthy of love. And we worship that which we deem worthy of our worship. And we show reverence for that which we deem worthy of our reverence. See, God is the most holy, lovely, righteous, perfect, and pure being in the world. Yet that doesn't mean that we deem him worthy of love, worship, and reverence. The problem isn't with God's greatness. It's with our understanding, knowledge, and experience of him. See, you can have been a Christian for decades, but still have a greatly inadequate view of God. You see, if we do not love or revere God, then the problem is with us and our understanding, not with his glory or greatness. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And often we read this and we agree and we nod. But how can we love a God we barely know? We won't show reverence to God unless we believe he deserves it. And that is why that quote from Tozer is so important. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our idea of God must be true of God. Or, if not, at best we'll be poor worshippers. Or worse still, we'll be worshippers of false gods. So today, let's kindle a taste for the holiness of God. So true and so insatiable that it shakes off our misconceptions. And it brings us to our knees in reverence of his majesty. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. 
We're going to read from Isaiah 6. And this was the call for Isaiah, and it set him ready for his prophetic life. Isaiah 6, 1-7. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live amongst people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that you are true, pure and righteousness and holy. Help us to understand the fullness of you. We are aware of our inadequate view of you, Lord. And help us to understand you better today. Speak through your word. Speak through and beyond me, I pray. Amen. Reverence is an attitude. It's a lifestyle of worship and honor to God. Reverence is the correct response to a correct view of Jesus Christ. So today, as we look at Isaiah's heavenly encounter with God, my prayer is that we'll get to know God better and therefore, as a result, live reverent lives in response to his glory. So from this passage in Isaiah, first of all, we see that God is eternal and therefore worthy of our reverence. King Isaiah was crowned king at the age of 16, and he did many great things. He dug wells, he built fortresses and things around Jerusalem to protect it, waged wars, um, successful wars against the Philistines. He was actually a popular guy. He was well-loved. And actually, during his reign, um, Judah was in a time of blessing and great provision. It was a prosperous time. But towards the end of his life, he got kind of proud. And he burnt incense before the Lord, a job that only a priest was meant to carry out. And this led to him contracting leprosy and eventually dying. So King Isaiah was um, king of Judah for 52 years. And there's an overview of his life in 2 Chronicles 26, if you want to read it. But you know, King Isaiah, this passage tells us that he ended up like everyone else, dead. Isaiah 6.1 says, It was in the year King Isaiah died that I saw the Lord. King Isaiah came and went, but God is still king. God is still on his heavenly throne because God is eternal. Over 130 years ago, Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher, famously said that God is dead. But you know what? In 1900, he died, and in 2018, God lives on. And in 4018, God will still live on, and in 10 billion years' time, God will still live on. Over the years gone and the years to come, 
Many people come and go from places of authority and power, but God will raid on. Many people raise their fists and mock their creator. But like Nietzsche, like King Isaiah, like you and like me, we will die, but God will live on. And it is so important for us to grasp God's eternal nature. See, we commonly talk about God being eternal, but have you actually processed what it means to serve a God who is eternal? You see, the problems and the joys that we face, or the the legacies or the marks we want to leave from our life, they're going to be forgotten and they will fade away. Our life is like a puff of smoke in history, yet our eternal God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This encounter that Isaiah had in heavenly throne room left him forever changed. He forever, uh, from this day forward, lived in knowledge of humanity's mortality and God's everlasting rule. You see, we read later in his book, Isaiah 40, he says, The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. God is worthy of our worship and our reverence because he's eternal. In this passage of Isaiah 6, he continues, he says, He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah has this vision of God, and he describes it to the best of his ability, but his words fail him. How can an infinite God be described by finite, finite language? We have 26 letters in our alphabet. How on earth can we describe the God of yesterday, today, and forever? You know, trying to describe God in our words is like talking to an Australian about rain. Australia is the second driest continent in the world, and some areas of it don't see any rain at all. So you know when we speak to an Australian and they want to say that it's raining? You know what they say? It's raining. But us, us Brits, we know rain. We live rain. We get rain. Even we sang a song about rain. But I, I, I'm convinced it's raining today because of Kevin. If he hadn't have chosen that song, we might, shine Jesus shine, we might have got the sun today. Anyway, when we want to say it's raining, we don't just say that it's raining. We can say it's drizzling or it's pouring. It's a shower, a downpour, a monsoon, it's torrential. How about sleet, mizzle, deluge, sun shower, spitting, sprinkling, pattering, tipping it down, hammering it down, chucking it down, sheet rain, cats and dogs. We get rain. A human describing God is like an Australian describing rain. How can we do it? So when we read Isaiah's words, he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. We see Isaiah is describing God's kingship and majesty to the best of his human ability. Isaiah was not just describing God's clothing, but describing his power and describing his splendor. Also, if God's robe filled the temple, there was no room for anyone else. God is complete and not lacking. There is no room or need for anyone else. He is the absolute authority. And because he is eternal, because he is the absolute authority, that is why he is beyond worthy of our reverence. So as we move on in this passage, we see that God is holy and therefore worthy of our reverence. 
Within this vision of heaven's throne room, Isaiah gets a view of some of the heavenly beings known as seraphim. And these aren't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Attending here were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. You see, we here in church believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And he created humans, and he created animals and birds and fish individually for the roles for which he's assigned them. So think of a fish for a second. God gave them scales and not fur so that they can swim through the water without water resistance. And he gave them gills so they could too breathe underwater. When God created a giraffe, he gave it, gave it a long neck so it could reach some of the higher trees and eat. So when God creates, he creates with a purpose. So when he created these seraphim, it was no accident that he gave them six wings when they only needed two to fly. These angelic beings were created to be in the presence of the holy God. The God who we know that no man can look upon and live. God so awesome, so powerful and holy. You see, we're told not to look at the sun for it will damage our eyesight. Yet this is a small star which God created. Looking upon the God of creation won't merely damage our eyes. Are you getting this? That God is so holy that these angelic beings need to cover their faces in the presence of him. As I said earlier, the reason uh, most of us show little reverence towards God is because we don't truly know him. Either consciously or not, we downplay God in his sovereignty and his power. We shrink our idea of God so that he fits into our little life. Yet we have the responsibility of pursuing God in knowledge, in love, and encounter. And only once we begin to grasp the holiness of God will we put him in the rightful place. Even angelic beings have to cover their face in the presence of God. Of a holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. In the English language, we use adjectives and adverbs to emphasize a point. So rather than just saying he's running, if you want to say he's running very fast, we'll say he's running very fast or he's running swiftly. In contrast, the Hebrew language uses repetitions of words to emphasize a point. And there is only one circumstance in the whole of the Bible that a word or a phrase is repeated three times. And that is when these angelic beings sing praise to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. God isn't just holy. He isn't just very holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Holy. And do you know that God is holy? Better still, do you believe that God is holy? But more than that, do you live in an encounter with the holy, holy, holy Lord? Is your entire life a response to his glory? Notice in this heavenly temple that there's no mention of a band. There's no mention of words on the screen or songs written. You see, these angels were worshipping God from their own knowledge and their own encounter with him. And until we grasp God's holiness and live in unity and encounter, we will rely on other people's words for worship. 
And also will show reverence for other people and other things rather than God. As and as we move on, we see that God is glorious and therefore worthy of reverence. In the presence of purity, filth is conspicuous. In the presence of splendor, shame is obvious. And in the presence of a holy God, sin reeks. When Isaiah sees God in his glory in this heavenly temple, he catches a scent of something so foul, something so ghastly and horrific. And then he realizes that it's him. It's over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. And yet I have seen the king, the Lord of the heaven's armies. Isaiah is aware of his sinful nature. And looking at God's purity, he sees his filth. He knows that sin and God cannot coexist. And as we said earlier, that God is eternal. So therefore sin has got to go. You see, as you seek God and you pursue him through your life, you'll find that he brings things to the surface that need to be dealt with. Things that in the mess of this world we disregard and we think they're unimportant. But in the holiness of God, they'll stand out and they'll make us shudder. As you live a life of reverence for God, you'll go through seasons and challenges that God will use to purify you and to make you holy. If you look at yourself and think you're doing pretty good, then come into God's presence. Ask him to reveal that which is out of line. King David understood this as he wrote in the Psalms, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. As we grow in relationship with God, and our worship and our reverence deepen, we see more and more of his holiness. And this then highlights our depravity and our desperate need for him. Take a look at this picture on the screen. This is how we often come to God. We show him our white walls in comparison to the rest of the world. And we say, pretty good, eh? But God is so glorious and so holy that being in his presence is like turning on an ultraviolet light. Suddenly we see things that we never knew were there. And we never knew were in us. And that is what God wants to purify. Isaiah knows that no man can look at God and live. He knows that in the book of Exodus, God had to shield Moses in a cave as a protection as God in his glory passed by. And Isaiah knows that he's not lived a perfect life. And he knows that God demands perfection. So therefore he is doomed. Yet God does not leave Isaiah writhing on the floor aware of his sin and aware of his death. Look, we read in verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. God, in his glory and grace, did not leave Isaiah just to writhe there and die but he provided a means for him to be cleansed. And God in his glory and grace hasn't left you and I to die in our filth. He's provided a means for us to be cleansed. 
and his name is Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man, killed on a cross as a sacrifice to atone for our sin. If God's eternality and his holiness didn't bring you to a place of reverence, then let this bring you to your knees. God himself, in his glory, took on your dirt, took on your sin, and died your death so that you can have his purity, his righteousness, and inherit eternal life. I want to invite the band up, if you can. I want to invite you all to stand, actually, as I close. Because as we speak on reverence, and as we look at God in his holiness, there has to be a response. Reverence is a response to God in his holiness. You see, Isaiah saw the Lord. He didn't just read something. He didn't just see something. But he saw something. He had an encounter. And nothing can substitute that. There is no number of sermons that you can listen to, nor conferences that you will attend, that will substitute for an encounter with God. Thousands of years ago, when God was on Mount Sinai, the people of Israel were terrified, and they asked Moses to have an encounter with God on their behalf. God is terrifying. God is holy. God is powerful and almighty. And that is why we must encounter him personally. This morning, church, do not be like the Israelites. Do not be like the Israelites asking Moses to have an encounter with God on behalf of you. Seek him for yourself. Don't rely on a pastor to encounter God for you as if we have anything more than you don't. Seek God and he will be found. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. You see, when I meet Jesus, I want to recognize him. I don't want to rely on what Timothy Keller or Don Carson said about him because that's not enough. I don't want to rely on Hillsong to give me words to worship him because that's not enough. Do you know God, the God of the Bible, the mighty Lord of Lords? If not, then don't leave here not knowing him. Don't leave him here with the same inadequate view with which you came. Let us sing in worshipful response. And then I'll come and give you some prayer pointers for the week. Let's sing holy, holy. Worthy is the 